Hey, you're listening to Burst Your Bubble. I'm Josh, and I've got Kyler here with me. We're here to bring you the sharpest sports takes. Today, we have a great interview with USF women's golf coach Dalton Stevens. We throw some hypotheticals at him, and we learn about why golfers are in such good shape. We have some very interesting headlines surrounding the sports world right now. Professional sports seem to be close to making decisions whether or not to reopen their respective leagues. Then Zion's former marketing director is asking him to admit him and his parents received gifts and money from Duke, Nike, and Adidas. And then we have our favorite totem pole yet, the biggest what-if moments in sports. Thankfully, in a time with very little live sports, social media and headlines are getting us through. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Burst Your Bubble. We're available everywhere you get your podcast. You can even get us on your Alexa devices. If you're bored at home, just tell Alexa to play Burst Your Bubble podcast. Then remember to rate, review, and share us with your friends or literally anyone you know. Thanks for listening, and remember, no hard feelings because more than likely, one of us will burst your bubble. Kyler, I woke up today with a little bit of nostalgia. So uh, I woke up, and the first thing I see on Twitter is, happy birthday to me, hashtag THPS. Tony Hawk Pro Skaters coming back remastered, and the nostalgia hit me. I felt like I was 14 years old again, getting ready to play Tony Hawk. Ooh, I love it. So uh, that was on your totem pole of video games, right? Uh, Yes. So uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, go back, scroll through the episodes, find the totem pole of sports video games, re-listen to that episode. Uh, Josh, I'm super excited for that. I, I think I told you when, we, when you brought it up that first time, I don't think I ever really played it. Um, so hopefully this time around, you know, they have a really, uh, they um, rival it to 2K, you know, make it just like that online neighborhood, uh, career mode, stuff like that. Yeah, and I've heard that there's a lot of talk about them coming out with a league for it. So, you know, maybe you'll get to see some some professional skater leagues. You know, the 2K has its own league. Maybe the maybe they can come out with something like that, you know, get a lot of professional gamers to get involved with Tony Hawk. And the fact that Tony Hawk's just getting back involved with it, stepping back into the spotlight. And I, I'm a huge Tony Hawk guy. And like I said in that episode, Tony Hawk Pro Skater was one of my favorite video games growing up as a kid. So this – just just makes me super excited. Definitely looking forward to that. Uh, you ready to hop into some headlines, Josh? Oh, yeah, sure. I figure, uh, you know, since we're talking about things coming back, maybe uh, we could hop into uh, sports. Hopefully. Hopefully we could hop into some sports. Um, so let's start with the NBA. So, uh, I, you know, kind of confirmed on Monday that uh, NBA – Playoffs to Disney World. Um, what I didn't know is there was a Board of Governors call on Friday with the owners, and apparently it did not go well. Um, the owners themselves couldn't agree on anything, Josh. Um, a lot of people left that call with very little optimism about the NBA season returning, period. Um, that was reported by Bill Simmons and a bunch of other people throughout the weekend. Um, Monday, Chris Paul, president of the Players Association, actually arranged a private conference call between the Avengers of the NBA. So LeBron, KD, Steph, Kawhi, Giannis, Dame Lillard, notably no James Harden, maybe because um, Westbrook was there, you know, the Rockets were represented, or maybe because Chris Paul hates James Harden. Either way, um, today on Tuesday, so yesterday, another call with the same individuals, um, same board of governors and the league commissioner apparently went a lot better. 
uh, going to read Woj's tweet here. Uh, he says, a lot of people left feeling positive with momentum towards a return to play. Um, it also discussed Adam Silver used the term campus environment when refer referencing what's been called a bubble. So, Josh, um, what's happening? There's a lot of talks going on right now. The, all the ideas are being floated around, but I think they're starting to narrow it down. So from, from this, from yesterday evening, uh, Adam Silver put out that he was extremely optimistic about the return of the NBA season. Um, so that's, that's great news. Um, and earlier yesterday, there was a, a tweet that went out, reports going around that uh, there was a text going around to players with a yes or no question of, do you want to return to, do you want to resume the season? Do you want to continue playing? And uh, it was said to stay anonymous, uh, anonymous, sorry. Uh, but what are the chances that actually happens? Uh, yeah, no chance. And actually when I saw that, uh, you know, the players reps were, uh, texting the players, you know, two different forms of the question. Do you want the season to start again? And would you play again this season? Um, two different texts to two different groups of players. You know, I'm guessing one of teams in the playoffs, one not. Uh, and that's kind of the thing. And the thing is with players not kind of understanding the gravity of the situation, not only the safety, but uh, what Jared Dudley, he put it greatly on Twitter. He says, you know, if we don't play the season – a lot of the younger players aren't understanding this affects the CBA for next season. So if you don't play this season, your, your salary is cut in half next season. And that's what a lot of players maybe aren't understanding. And maybe they don't know when um, receiving a text like that. Yeah. And that's, that's, uh, that's something that the older and the players uh, association, their union that they have is I think doing a really good job of being able to communicate with them now, letting them understand that the NBA did a great job in pushing back that they didn't have to, uh, they pushed back the collective bargaining agreement uh, instead of uh, cutting it off right there. They didn't have to extend it like they did. Um, they're giving themselves a little bit uh, more time to talk about it, discuss, see what's going to happen with the season because there's a difference of making 20 million. This is just a number out there. I don't know what the numbers are. $20 million versus $6 million in revenue for a team. So obviously it's way higher than that, but um, those are just the differences of how much you can pay. You know, certainly uh, some teams have higher TV deals with other things um, that are happening, but it was, I thought it was a really good part, a uh, really good move on the NBA's part to push that C, uh, CB back. So I'll kind of uh, talk about the money a little bit when we, uh, when I mentioned the MLB in a second, because that's really what they're dealing with right now, trying to get started back up. Um, discussions with the money between the players and the owners. Uh, but one thing I found significant with the Woes tweet uh, with Adam Silver, he says one thing they're really going to have to deal with um, is players and the league are going, will need to get comfortable with some positive tests for virus, not shutting down a resumption of play. Uh, my one question with this, Josh, and I, I keep coming back to this, what happens if LeBron James tests positive? I think that that question is going to get answered whenever before the season resumes. The NBA will have something put in place uh, to make that decision before we get started. And whenever they make that decision, they're, they have to, 100% have to go into it with the mindset of it doesn't matter if it's James Jones sitting on the bench or if it's LeBron James, star of the NBA. It, whatever decision they make before the season starts is what they need to go with through all this. It doesn't matter so, who it is. 
So what is that? What, what's the answer? Well, I mean, the easy answer, I mean, there is no easy answer, but, uh, you know, the obvious answer uh, that I've, I saw a lot, you know, first is if they get it, they go through treatment and they self-quarantine for 14 days and somebody else steps up on your team. Can you, so and then you might be able to bring someone up from the G League for, you know, as long as that player's out. That's why you have your farming system. That's why you have your teams like that. That's why you're supposed to create depth in the league. Obviously, it's it wouldn't – I mean, it's not a great spot, but, the, you know, that's a way to finish the season out. So this sounds like a nightmare. Um, this sounds like a recipe for James Harden to win his first NBA championship and to have a huge asterisk by his name for the rest of his career. Uh, yeah. I'd, <laughs> well, you sound like you don't want the NBA to come back. I definitely do. I just don't want LeBron James to miss – I mean – Four LeBron, games against look, the LeBron Celtics James, to get swept. LeBron James, the a lot of places are starting to open up. Obviously, California is a lot more strict, but a lot of places are starting to open up, and they have just as good a chance to get coronavirus being out and about than they do if they bring back with no fans. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm just saying that, I mean, if you're going to post – I just think if, if something happens with a player on a team – I just don't think it would be fair for the Lakers to play without LeBron, for example. So you don't think the NBA should come back? That's what I mean. That's what you're I saying. Don't, if uh, I'm saying if uh, if uh, if LeBron James tests positive, then the Lakers game should be postponed until LeBron James is clear of coronavirus. Would you say the same thing if it was a bench player? No, because they're not playing. They might. I mean, they have every chance to play. What if LeBron James goes out and he has eight points in a finals game? Well, I mean, is it, 2000, is it 2011 again or are we in 2020 because he's not going to do that? I mean, well, we're talking about the coronavirus. And if you want the teams to come back to play, you know, they, you, we're already pushing the season back like this. If one person gets it, that, my problem with this is not, not pushing it back because someone gets it. My problem is this, the double standard for – making a team wait because a player – it's the same thing with – it's not the same thing, but it would be the equivalent to an injury. If your player gets injured, you have to play without that player. Look at Golden State last year. Yeah, I completely agree with that. So, I mean, we'll see We'll see what they say. I mean, I, I just – I mean, I, it would dilute the – it would obviously dilute it, but, I mean, like you said – definitely the, – the level of play would go down significantly for whatever team that would happen to if it was a star. But that's whatever – I'm hoping – that the people at the NBA, the executive level of the NBA is a little bit smarter than me and they can figure out some kind of recipe for this to work. But like I said, whatever decision they make, they need to stick with no matter what. Well, I'm not sure if they're actually smarter than us, but they definitely get paid more. And speaking of somebody who gets paid more, the NHL commissioner, um, Gary Batman, he says that canceling the season is quote, not even something he's considering. So obviously, um, some more positive news. Hopefully, we get some NHL. Man, NHL playoffs. There's not a better playoffs. The the Stanley Cup Finals. Man, there's not a better Game Seven of the Stanley Stanley Cup. Sign me up, Josh. I'm ready for it. I love it. I played in NHL. Also made my top video games list. I love everything about the NHL playoffs. Race for the Stanley Cup. That's when teams. The passion comes out. The rivalries come out. I'm about it. And speaking of another sport that's trying to come back, um, the MLB. Uh, so 
what's come out the past couple of days is they're pretty much settled in into um, traveling from city to city pretty much. Um, it seems except for Toronto and possibly New York and California teams. So besides they're all, they would all relocate to different stadiums, different training facilities. Um, but other than that, all the teams would travel to each other's stadiums and um, play the games there. Once we do get kicked off, what they're kind of figuring out now is the money. So um, what we're kind of dealing with is the proration of the season. So if we cut the season in half to 82 games and a guy makes $10 and now we're cutting it to half. So it's um, 162 to 81. So now he only makes $5, but now the league is only making $5. And how can you pay, pay the player $5 if you're only making $5? See the predicament, Josh? Yeah, it's definitely not good. They're they're in a tough spot. And the, the players' unions already come out and said, you know, this is something that we're not going to abide by. Yeah, I mean, the, the players and the owners are on literally two different – they're reading two different books right now. Um, actually, they're probably reading the same book, The Art of Negotiation, um, Trump or whatever it's called. Um, they're probably reading that, just settled into their negotiating tools, um, not budging at all. But hopefully one of them does budge. I think it's got to be the players here. I don't, I don't see any way that the, um, the owners would – I mean, I see a way where they could, you know, fork out the money to, to pay the players this season, but I don't see any way they could recoup from it. Yeah, and, you know, the players already said that the, they would tell the owners to plead to, – that they would plead to the league to open the books if the uh, owners start claiming poverty on this. Uh, it's, it's a tough situation. And that's kind of what I was going back to about, you know, TV contracts and deals with the – revenue sharing for these especially the smaller market teams and a lot of this those are the ones that are really getting hurt and I mean we saw in the Jordan doc that um you know back in I think it was 95 or 96 whenever the lockout happened they were trying to pay replacement players you know they even offered Jordan a spot as a replacement player so maybe that's something that I don't want to say they try and do that again you know because I think the players association is a lot more advanced now I don't think they would even allow something like that but maybe maybe that's something we see yeah, and, you know, well, I would hate to see it, but they could also, if if they absolutely did not want to pay this money, they could say, ah, we're, not, we're just not going to open up. Yeah, I mean, very well. Just I mean, we're shutting down till next season. See, see you guys in see you guys spring training. So we can uh, – oh, and, the, and another thing I saw in the NBA yesterday was uh, that – it was last night. Um, Adam Silver said in two to four weeks there, it's, he's expected to – he's expecting two to four weeks – and he'll make a decision on whether or not uh, they will resume play. So, so no like I said on Monday, Josh, um, I'm, go, I'm sorry, go ahead. There's no telling whether or not uh, he sticks to that. We've seen the, the yeah. deadlines get pushed back, but that is what he put out yesterday. Well, he's been, he's been pretty, uh, pretty good about, you know, if he does push back his deadline, he does come out around that date and push it back again. So, I mean, he's been somewhat consistent there, but um, like I said on Monday, I'm, I'm, 99.9% certain he's going to come out and announce that the NBA playoffs are at Disney World. This is what we're doing. I saw in the tweet also, um, you know, they're looking at here and abroad for the placement of the, of the playoffs. So, I mean, you know, possibly somewhere out of the country. So, maybe Fight Island. Maybe maybe that's what it took so long for Fight Island to get built. They had to yeah. build a couple of courts as well. Yeah, build all the courts. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so, we can talk a little bit about a uh, – I've got a scandal we can talk about, potential scandal, potential scandal. Don't, don't want to get in trouble here. Potential scandal. 
Uh, is Duke a, a dirty program? No. Okay, you heard it here first. Duke is not a dirty program. However, Zion Williamson's uh, what was he a former man, former uh, agent? Uh, yeah, it was his former marketing director or something like that. Is asking the star at Duke, former Duke star Zion Williamson, now plays for the New Orleans Pelicans, to admit that his parents demanded and received money and Nike and Adidas clothing and items. What do you think about this? Uh, yeah, this is a mess. Uh, so what I don't think we'll ever see is actually Zion on a stand um, under oath. Under any circumstance, I think Zion is an upstanding citizen and we'll never see him in any trouble ever. Um, he's going to have a fantastic NBA career and win 19 NBA championships. Uh, but, I, Josh, this is a little bit crazy because we know he did it. I mean, we know that he accepted thousands of dollars to go there and, you know, through Nike and Adidas. But uh, will we ever see him admit it? I don't know. Will he ever admit it? Oh, man. You, t you talk about a Jordan doc in 2020 a Zion doc in 2040, 2080. <laughs> well, uh, that's kind of the thing too. Once, uh, I, I don't know, Josh, if you, I've recommended it to you, the recruiting stories um, that Ryan Rosillo is doing right now with uh, one, one story he had on there with Damian Woody. He said he went to Boston College and the reason he went there is because a man walked up to him, you know, after, after practice, it was a booster and he shook his hand, he slipped an envelope in his, in his jacket pocket he was a junior in high school uh he, you know he went to the bathroom to check out what it was and he didn't want his mom to see and he pulled out an envelope full of money full of money he said it was six digits it happens and that's that is what's wild about this these players these players are getting paid somehow by somebody in some way and it is uh, astonishing so yeah once we see the numbers that come out in a few years what zion got from adidas or nike to to grace that Duke blue, uh, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be astonishing. But I, well, I think what we'll see is that Coach K had no part of it. Coach K is a clean man, and he would never take part in such a thing. I really hope so. But, man, it's, uh, it's hard to plead innocence. If, uh, if it's happening with Zion, it's hard for me to believe that it'd be the first person that it happened with. What I'm really interested to know is how many FBI agents are sitting in a room staring at a wall of, hundreds of names and pictures with lines crossed like a serial killer uh, investigation yeah. you now you see on TV. I want to know how many rooms are like that for this NCAA scandal. Yeah, it's like, why do we have the director of scouting texting with Zion's aunt? I, I don't get that. I'm like, Why do we have Zion's, Zion's stepdad texting with the junior video analysis asking for $15,000? This isn't, this isn't adding up. Yeah, no one should be texting the assistant to the assistant athletic director yeah. at 10 o'clock at night. Asking for a house. Hmm. Well, time will tell what is actually happening here with more allegations that continue to come out. And this is just that the, the director of marketing, former director of marketing for Zion that's asking this. So time will tell what's going to happen uh, with the scandal, but it's definitely something uh, interesting to look at. So, Josh, we've got a really fun interview uh, with uh, USF golf coach Dalton Stevens, a friend of the program. I uh, hope you all really enjoyed this interview. He's really a great, funny guy. Uh, going to be on the show a lot more talking sports with us, so hope you really enjoy it. Uh, Josh, I think you have an ad for us first, though. 
Caller, I know how much we both have loved what Anchor has given us as a podcasting platform. Ladies and gents, if you haven't heard of Anchor yet, you're missing out. Most importantly, it's free. Anchor gives you the ability to edit and upload your podcast directly from your phone to get anywhere you can get your podcast. Apple Music, Spotify, it'll be there. You can make money from your podcast with minimum listeners. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome on with us today, uh, Coach Dalton Stevens, currently at uh, University of South Florida, part of that coaching staff for the women's squad. Um, Coach, you and I basically showed up the same time at Bethany College. Um, Pretty much the same day, I think, I showed up my recruiting visit. Um, That was your first head coaching stint. We'll get back to that in just a second. Um, Okay. First of all, how are you? I'm good, man. Appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. So uh, how are you staying busy during the quarantine? Yeah, staying busy. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, for us, it's pretty tough right now without being able to, uh, you know, really be out recruiting. This is kind of a a big push for us in the summer to kind of get ahead for, you know, kind of the cycle that we've got coming up on June 15th for the class of 2022 kids, um, just to make sure they see us and, and all that type of stuff. But I mean, really right now, just kind of game planning for next year and kind of scheduling some stuff, you know, with all the different types of changes that are coming with, you know, kind of regional schedules and maybe not being able to travel as far away. Like we were supposed to go to the Bahamas this next year. And um, we've taken that one off our, off our schedule, which is tough because that's a big selling point in recruiting, you know, when we're going to really nice places, but uh, yeah, just trying to stay busy, probably, probably similar to you guys. So do you have to, uh, do you have to stay better than the, than your players? So how are you staying uh, good at golf during all this? Are you getting to sneak out on the course? That's a really good question. So actually I, I play golf Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays right now, which is uh, probably three times a week more than I'm used to um, during the season. So, you know, my, my handicap's as good as it's ever been. I know uh, my head coach's husband and I, um, we're actually going to play in a tournament in August um, towards the end, just because we feel pretty good about our games right now. And, um one time maybe since uh since I was playing college golf you know a long time ago um probably as good as I feel about my game right now so we're excited about that uh so you, you kind of touched on you played college golf so uh how does one it's kind of a two-part question how does yeah. one become a college golf coach um and yeah. what kind of made you what kind of made that a career you wanted to follow and what things have really surprised you the most from it yeah I would say um it was my senior year at Mount Mercy University in my hometown in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, uh, one of the schools I played at and had a coach come up to me and said, hey, if you're looking to get into golf, um, you know, let me know if, if you don't end up playing after um, college. And really at that point, I kind of knew that, you know, I'm playing NAI golf. I, I probably don't have a as good a shot, you know, to get uh, seen as, as a lot of our girls, you know, here get seen um, to play pro golf. But uh I knew I knew at a real early age on, even before playing college golf, that I I wanted to stay in golf somehow, and whatever opportunity allowed me to do that, I was probably going to run with it. Um, so I was kind of afforded that opportunity. I actually had my first college coaching job at uh, Iowa Central Community College prior to graduating in the spring semester um, at Mount Mercy. So I was pretty fortunate. I knew I was going to have a job. It, it wasn't a full time gig, but I was working three three different jobs at Iowa Central, you know, just to make it stretch financially for me. And, you know, here we are at USF and, and obviously the path, you know, from, from, you know, meeting you out at Bethany and getting you to, to come out there. Um, you know, it's just kind of a, you know, at Bethany, you know, I wanted to be there for a while. And to be honest, I had no anticipation to leave 
Um, that year I got the opportunity in the summer after, you know, the men's team won the conference championship and Aspen played really well um, on the women's side. But, you know, I think I was in a pretty good situation there at Bethany as the head men's and women's coach because if the women did really well, I was probably going to be afforded an opportunity to go, you know, coach women um, at a bigger school or vice versa. If the men did really well, I might get some men's opportunities. Um, but really the women's side is, to be honest, it's a lot more low maintenance probably than guys. Um, I don't deal with, you know, 20 different guys and 10 girls. You know, we just got eight girls on the roster and we're really able to kind of focus on the eight um, instead of trying to focus on, you know, 30 players. And, and I was the guy that was pretty tough, but yeah. So with that, uh, you know, I said a minute ago that, you know, you have to be better than your players. How often do, uh, do your players uh, when they come in challenge you or try to find out how good you are at golf? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, we're we're at the level, you know, here at Division One where it's it's really all about them. Um, you know, every once in a while, you know, during during a teaching session or something with one of our girls, you know, that's when I'll kind of jump in and show that I've still got a little bit of, you know, finesse or short game or putting. You know, that's kind of the area that I'm really strong at. Um, but then obviously, I, I hit a long ball at the tees, so you know, when girls are trying to get stronger and do some different things that way, uh, we're able to help them there too. Um, but more, more so, you know, the, the biggest change for me coming from, you know, maybe Bethany to a USF was, you know, the, the girls game is so straightforward off the tee, you know, guys hit it right, left, and still find a way to make birdie. Whereas, you know, on the girls side, when we get in trouble, you know, we, we can't necessarily hook or slice the ball around a tree. Um, so we fight that stuff a little bit, but we're getting to the point now where, we got some girls that can do that, and, and we're definitely excited about kind of where we're going here. So uh, when you got to Bethany, we kind of mentioned you got you got there on basically the same day. That was your first head coaching stint. Yep. Um, you coached the men and the women's team. I, I can't imagine how much work that was. Um, I know yep. the second year you had Oliver on as your assistant. Now he's the head coach there. Um, yep. So kind of talk about running both programs. You talked about how much, it, how much of a problem it was or how much – how hectic you get, you know, taking care of 30 bags, 30 players, yeah. you know, 20 travel arrangements. So kind of speak on that. Yeah. Um, obviously from a, from a management standpoint, it, it was good for me because my degree is in management. So, you know, while I was playing college golf, I necessarily didn't know what I was going to use my degree for. So I just did management. Um, and then right when I got to Bethany, it was, you know, hey, I got to find a way to recruit. You know, I've, I've recruited for a year at Iowa Central, but we only had to recruit, you know, a few guys every year and girls. So, you know, now we go from doing that to, you know, my first recruiting class, which you were a part of, was 18 strong, um, which is unheard of. You know, we were just getting NLIs, you know, in left and right. Um, but the thing that people don't realize is I was probably reaching out to 500 kids to get 18. You know, it's very similar to a Division One football model where, you know, they need 20 to 25 guys every year, but they offer probably 250. Um, so I stayed up there all night, every night, basically just, you know, I really wanted to prove to Dane, you know, the athletic director there at the time that, you know, hey, you made the right decision, you know, hiring a 24-year-old um, to take over a very storied um, and tradition on the men's side for sure. But the real opportunity was on the women's side where, you know, they, they weren't necessarily super strong. They barely had a team with yeah. four girls. And, you know, we go from finishing last second to last in the conference to my second year, we finished second and probably could have won it. Um, and now, obviously, Oliver's doing really well. Um, but I think the cool part is me and him still keep in touch. We float ideas back and forth. And, you know, I still want Bethany to, 
to stay strong because my name's attached to it. So I want it to continue to do well. So we, you talk about, we've talked about recruiting quite a bit so far, like uh, just going through the process of your recruiting classes. So I know I don't want to ask you about specific recruiting, yeah. uh, but you know, in the, for other sports, football, basketball, you want the tall, strong kid, you know, you kind of look at athleticism, but golf isn't all about, uh, you know, that aspect of it. So what is something that you really look for when you look at recruiting golfers? Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say just, you know, we, we want girls that, you know, have great families and, and that's any sport, right? You know, every college in America is trying to recruit great families to kind of uphold the tradition and, you know, kind of have that support. Um, but I mean, especially from that standpoint, we're, we're really looking for, for girls that just want to be a part of, you know, kind of the, the start of something new because um, USF's only been around for 50 years. So that's kind of our angle without going too much into details about recruiting and how we do it. Um, you know, just from an NCAA standpoint, but, um, yeah, I mean, sorry, I can't go in, into too much detail about that, but, um, definitely we're, we're looking for people that are the right fit that want to be a part of something, something new and, and upcoming stuff like that. Well, Iowa, Kansas, and, uh, now Florida, it seems like yeah. you couldn't get to the sunshine, sunshine quick enough. I know. Isn't that crazy? You know, just thinking about, you know, my days living in the dorms at Iowa Central as a coach and, you know, making 20 grand and, and then I, I leave there and go to the school that I played for. And I made $2,500 coaching men's golf at a team that was, you know, top five in the country. And we finished national runner up that year. And wow. that was kind of my ticket out, um, you know, and then I'm out in Kansas for two years, really had no anticipation to leave that year. Kind of like I mentioned. And, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, I start talking with Erica Brennan, our head coach through Twitter messages, just from following and, you know, you know, seeing kind of what's out there and all that. And, we really probably talked for a couple hours every day without even mentioning, you know, Hey, I've got a job opening and stuff like that. And so she really invested in kind of getting to know me and what my philosophies were going to be and kind of what they came into over the past three years prior. Um, and then it got to the point where I, I flew out and got offered the opportunity to, to be here. And, you know, it's crazy to think about how it's all ended up, but yeah, I'm very fortunate. Well, I bet those uh, 5.30 a.m. conditionings are a little warmer than they were at Bethany. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that, that was tough for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, at, at 5.30 in the morning here, I mean, it's it's 90 degrees every day, and <laughs> we're kind of cranking up into the summer months now, and it's going to be 100, you know, for the next several months going into fall, and fall will be hot. And, but the crazy part is to, to come from Kansas and Iowa to Florida is, I mean, when it's 65 or 70 degrees, you know, out here in, in Tampa, we've got girls in stocking hats at practice in the morning, you know, and out in Kansas, we would have been, we would have killed for 70 degrees and been on a golf course, you know, 360 days a year and, and all that. I mean, we've got that luxury here. So. So one thing that I've always, I mean, I, I kind of come to grasp with it now, but for a long time, uh, like my freshman year of college, I was not a, a golfer before I came to college. Now I just kind of play around with friends and I've gotten <laughs> okay um but there's a lot of conditioning a lot of um of the weight training side that goes into golf can you just touch on that a little bit yeah um i mean we we work out several times a week and um you know it's it's vital to you know it's, it's just like training from a of, of a job you know that you're trying to do you know you put you know hours of training and leg work into whatever you're trying to execute for that week or you know the mission kind of same here with golf you know we're we're working out, we're going straight into practice afterwards. And, 
Um, I mean, obviously we're fortunate enough to have the facilities here and, and all that that allow us to do that and have an on-campus, um, you know, golf course and driving range and our own golf center clubhouse um, for the men's and women's golf teams. So um, fitness is really taking off. I mean, there's, if you go look at the top 10 players in the world, men's and women's, or even the top 100 to 200, you know, they're all working out because they see the benefit to it. Um, and that's just, it, it takes buying into that part. Um, you know, if you really want to reap kind of the benefits and the rewards, I mean, we play 36 holes on every first round, first day. I mean, um, so, I mean, you got to be able to push a card or carry your bag for 36 holes and, you know, not everybody can do that and perform at a high level. So it's hugely important. Definitely a lot of conditioning goes into place there. Uh, Dalton Stevens on with us uh, currently on the coaching squad at the women's team um, at University of South Florida. Appreciate you joining us again, man. I'm going to yeah. go through a couple of hypotheticals with you, if you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. So um, let's hear your dream foursome. Let, uh, golfers only first. All right. Dream foursome. I mean, obviously, I'd want to have Tiger Woods in my group. Um, I really idolized him as a kid. And growing up, you know, having a Tiger Woods junior golf bag and, you know, the Tiger head cover, you know, that was just kind of my era um, of upcoming golfers when I was really young. Um, and then probably I'd say – I'd like to play with maybe a, a Gary player who's kind of, you know, really into fitness, plays golf a different way. It's not super flashy, but, um, you know, obviously he's played at a high level for a long time and still plays. Um, I mean, not necessarily super competitive now, but, you know, he's still playing at whatever, you know, age he is. Um, so I think it'd be cool to play with him. And probably another guy that, you know, probably not too many people would say, but, you know, maybe like a Pete Dye or, you know, someone that's a golf course architect, which isn't a common answer in, in this type of question. Um, but over the years, I've, I've developed, you know, new foursomes and stuff like that. That would be a dream. And, you know, just to kind of pick someone's brain about, you know, why do you put a bunker here? You know, because mm -hmm. obviously we, we don't always end up in the fairway and on the green and regulation and stuff like that. So Pete Dye would for sure be one. And then, um, I mean, yeah, that's, that's three and, and then myself. But um, I want to I want to stick with guys, you know, that uh, have a lot of knowledge and, and can kind of, you know, raise my game um, just with playing, you know, with good players too. All right, I've got one more hypothetical. Let me set the scene. So it's Tiger Woods, Rory, DJ, and Brooks. They're all tied Sunday morning at 10 under. All right. What do you have to start the day out to feel comfortable and come out with the green jacket? Oof. Hopefully you get a good night's sleep, but obviously if you're in the final group um, on a Sunday, uh, you're probably not getting a lot of sleep. But um, I mean, I, I would say just they, they all prepare so well. So it's just a matter of, you know, who makes a mistake. I mean, if you look at the Masters that Tiger ended up winning, you know, he was really kind of trailing um, coming down that stretch going into 12. And, you know, a couple of guys hit it in the water. Next thing you know, he finds himself near the top and, and at the top. Um, and then, you know, kind of the scene was his and, and he took advantage um, of obviously the par fives coming in, you know, hits a good shot on 17, and you know, then gets it off the off the tee on 18. But then the second shot he hit on 18 was terrible. Um, and I would think, I mean, obviously, I've, I've played at a high level, but not that high level. But, you know, some would say maybe they could have hit a better shot there on 18 than, than he did on the second shot. But I've watched on 18. it was fun to watch again, just even though you know what's going to happen. Man, that, that shoot on 18, I, there's no, I would do what Jordan did every time. I'd hit the trees every time. Yeah. I mean, I, me personally, I mean, my miss is right. I'd, I'd be aiming left, but 
you know, I think that the scary part is, you know, you get through the part three there and then on 18, it's sitting through, you know, basically a doorway with a driver, three wood. And yeah. I don't, I don't know how many times I get it started online perfectly, you know, and mm-hmm. to do it under that pressure is, is obviously, you know, takes a, a lot of energy and focus to, to pull off one shot, you know, and hope you can get it on in two and kind of easy two putt for par, but luckily you made that birdie on 17. Otherwise it might've been a playoff and, and a whole different situation. Okay. So you didn't answer the question. So I'll kind of rephrase it. I'll change up the question. Yeah. What, sorry. What would you need to make on 18? Uh, what, what score would you feel comfortable making on, on the 18 T um, to win the masters? Oof. I mean, I would hope it'd be bogey or less. I mean, if you, if you make it's a double, they'll win the Masters. I don't know. I mean, obviously, you played pretty well at that point. But I would say, I mean, it's got to take bogey or less to, to win going down 18. Because um, that means there's at least people on you or in the clubhouse that already have the lead or clubhouse lead, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, I would think, I mean, I'm a highly competitive golfer for sure. But, I mean, I would think – you know, at least six or seven out of ten times I can maybe walk out of that hole with a four. I'd probably need a nine. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not a nine to win the Masters. But, yeah, I mean, hey, if, if you got that type of lead going into it, it doesn't matter. As long as you get the jacket, you're in an elite group. So here's my hypothetical. I've got a – would you rather – Keller and I talked about this before. Would you rather play with Tiger Woods at your local course or play with your best friend on Augusta? Ooh. Well, luckily for me, the golf courses are pretty nice here. Um, I think maybe I'd take the advantage and uh, maybe the, the course knowledge to, to maybe play Tiger around Tampa Palms Golf and Country Club here in Tampa, one of our home golf courses. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, best friend, I mean, we can go play golf anywhere, but, you know, if I had a chance to play with Tiger, I'd play with him at my <laughs> Golf and course. there's no better thing to say to you that would go on every resume ever. I beat Tiger Woods in a round of golf. Uh, I don't know if I'd beat him, but yeah, you know, I'd beat him on a hole or something. I'd probably feel pretty good about it. Well, that can go on a resume. That's right. All right, so we talked about um, some of those courses down there in Florida. Uh, we're going to get to see one of those for the first time ever on TV this weekend, Seminole uh, Golf yeah. Club down there. Uh, Ricky yeah. Fowler and Matt Wolf versus Rory and DJ. Um, it's going to be on NBC and Golf Channel this Saturday, 1 p.m. Um, yeah. How excited are you for that? Yeah, pumped for it. You know, just a chance to see golf on TV again. Um, instead of watching highlights and, and stuff like that will be nice. But, you know, obviously it's for a good cause. And Seminole is a pretty storied, um, you know, country club. And luckily our, our men's team got to go down there this past year and, and play around it, uh, you know, just for practice and stuff like that. So um, they brought a book back and they all got, you know, hats from there, you know, in the clubhouse and stuff like that. So um, one of our, our assistant men's coaches actually just posted a video on, on USF uh, men's golf's Twitter page and he's actually wearing a Seminole hat, but he wanted to make sure that, you know, the whole audience knew that it wasn't a Florida state Seminole hat. Um, it was Seminole, you know, golf and country club and, and all that. So yeah, definitely excited to, to watch it. You know, obviously it's for a good cause and, um, but the golf course there is, I mean, I see it on Instagram and Twitter every day. Um, you know, just with certain people that I follow and that play or practice down there and stuff like that, and it just looks immaculate all the time. Rory said he uh, played there on Friday, actually with Tom Brady, and uh, he said he de-greened on number five. Oh, wow. Putting, while Green. putting. But, yeah, yeah so, they're, uh, they're, I'm sure are fast and, and super undulating, so, you know, it just makes your, your targets to, to greens, you know, the air 
you know, so much smaller, um, which, you know, is, is a true test of golf, which will kind of be cool to see because, you know, those guys are human too. You got, you can't forget that. They make mistakes and, you know, they just make more birdies than, than the average uh, amateurs like ourselves. But, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be fun to watch for sure. So then the week after that, we've got Tiger and Peyton versus Phil and Brady. I'm a medalist also down there in your neck of the woods. Um, yep. Let's get a prediction for both the matches. Um, first with Ricky and Fowler, Ricky Fowler, Matt Wolf versus Roy and DJ, then Tiger versus Phil. You know, I, I think I'm going to pull for the underdog in the first match and go with Matt Wolf and, uh, and Ricky. Just, you know, they're both super kind of flashy guys. The, the crowds love them both, obviously. But I really like Matt Wolf from a stance that, you know, his golf swing isn't perfect, but your golf swing doesn't have to be perfect to play golf. Um, and that's the cool part, you know, when we're out watching or, you know, the girls on our team, you know, it doesn't matter how you swing as long as the scorecard looks pretty at the end, um, you know, we're going to be happy with it. So I'd probably say, I'd probably say Rory and Matt Wolf, even though I know that's probably not going to be a common pick, but um, you heard it here first. I, I think they'll pull it out. Um, and then who else we got? We got Tom Brady and who's he partnered with? So it's uh, Tiger and Peyton versus Phil and Brady. I'll go with Tiger and, and them just because uh, I'm not a huge uh, Phil Mickelson fan, um, you know, just because growing up in my era, you know, it was it was always Tiger. You know, he was the one that kind of ran the show. And, you know, if, if Phil probably wasn't in Tiger's, um, you know, prime playing time together, um, I, I do predict that Phil would probably have more, uh, not more majors than Tiger for sure, but he would definitely have more than, than what he has mm -hmm. in the trophy case. Yep. Well, uh, Dalton Stevens on with us again. Uh, Coach, we really appreciate you coming on with us. Uh, I think Josh has one more question for us. Sure. Yeah, we can go to our last question here. So obviously, uh, you know, there's been a lot of winning in your coaching career so far, uh, taking Bethany up by 55 spots on the women's uh, national ranking. Um, a lot of winning for you so far. So what is the, the one thing that you try to keep in mind uh, so far during your coaching career? What do you practice with your golfers that help you uh, get to that level? Yeah, I mean, I would say it, it all starts kind of with, with culture, right? Um, you know, I think at, uh, at Iowa Central, I was pretty fortunate because I got to do a lot of the recruiting um, with our head coach. Um, but I think the cool part about being an assistant is, you know, we're – I don't want to say we're the ones out there on the ground laying the, you know, the, the two-by-fours and kind of getting the process going. But, you know, a lot of us are out there, um, you know, several times before maybe a, a head coach gets out there. Because when you see a head coach, you know – you know, it's, it's on and, you know, that there's a good chance, you know, some triggers are going to get pulled and, and stuff like that. So um, I think culture is the big one. You know, you gotta, gotta have people in, in your boat, you know, that, uh, you know, have like-minded mission and goals and values. And um, you know, I think at Bethany, we were real fortunate because, you know, people kind of saw me working hard. So, you know, they wanted to work hard. Um, you know, I, I basically lived up there and, you know, I wanted to get that thing rolling and, you know, we got the right people in the boat to really make it work. And, um, especially on the women's side, for sure. Um, you know, that was, it's tough to sell something that, you know, hasn't historically been any good. Um, you know, they maybe have one good player, Aspen, before I got there. Um, but prior to that, Stiff, I mean, by the way, yeah, she is for sure. Um, we had a good time at nationals and obviously it didn't pan out the way we wanted it to, um, down here in Florida. But, um, you know, I, I think just getting, uh, getting people in the boat, you know, like I've mentioned, um, that kind of share it and want to want to be a part of something new. I mean, I've been pretty fortunate. The places I've been, you know, they've been kind of complete overhauls um, or starts 
um, which has been kind of cool because, you know, I don't want to say you, you kind of look like a hero when you take something from nothing to, mm -hmm. to pretty solid, you know, but it takes a few years of, of solid momentum to, to attract better players. Um, so it was a tough sell that first year for sure. But, um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing, and, and Kyler, I don't know if you remember this, but, you know, I'm a triplet, so I've got a brother and a sister, same age. Um, you know, I come from a middle-class working family that, you know, provided me a lot of opportunities, but, you know, I was never playing tournaments every week or anything like that. And so I always tried to find kids, you know, that had a real chip on their shoulder that wanted to be a part of something, you know, that I knew were going to work as hard as me that really wanted it. Um, and we've been pretty fortunate in all the places that I've been that um, the stars have kind of aligned. And luckily I have had a lot of success and, and stuff like that. But everybody works hard every year. It's just a matter of, you know, does the ball get in the hole? Um, so, I mean, even if we have a bad year, you know, you're, you're still working hard. Um, it's just things don't happen to fall your way. But I've been pretty fortunate. It's obviously early on in my coaching career. You know, this is only I'm going into my sixth season now. Um, you know, luckily I've never had any other jobs other than, you know, just coaching college golf. So I've been real fortunate to, to surround myself with a lot of really good people that, you know, have kind of shared the vision and mission of, of kind of what I've been trying to do. But I'm a big believer in, you know, we, I don't ever say I or me or, you know, you, the kids are the ones that got to hit the shots. I don't hit a shot out there. Um, you know, they deserve all the credit. I'm just lucky enough to be a part of it. So one more little nugget for everybody. Yeah. What is uh what what kind of driver do you use? What what's your golf clubs like? You know what irons do you have? And I'm yeah. I've got a, I've got a follow up for that real quick. And once you answer that, what's the better feeling for you? Splitting the fairway with a three hundred yard drive or draining a twenty five foot putt? Oh, I'll answer the follow up first. I mean, obviously, I like to hit the long ball because that's one of my specialties. But um, you know, you, you drive for show. I mean, I hit a lot of 300 yard drives. I don't make a lot of birdies. You know, I make three or four, maybe five around, um, if I'm lucky and, and really striking, striking it well. But I would say the putt for sure. Cause everybody on the tour can hit it 300 yards basically, but you know, they don't all win every week. So, you know, it's always somebody new or, um, somebody that doesn't hit it very far. You know, Zach Johnson's from my hometown in Iowa. He doesn't hit the ball. I mean, I, I hit three wood, maybe five wood past his or three iron close to his driver. You know, he's won two, two majors. So, um, but he putts and chips really well. So I definitely, you know, I mean, Tiger would love to have his putter or short game. Obviously, Tiger's got to get a short game. But, um, you know, Zach Johnson has been wildly successful with not a lot of, you know, tools, I guess, from a, from a shot standpoint or anything like that. He just hits trap draws everywhere and can putt it, you know, into anywhere from as long as he's on the green, he's going to have a good chance. But um, as far as clubs, I, I play a PXG driver, um, kind of something newer in the past year that I've gotten um, that I really like. I don't love the sound of it, but I hit more fairways than I ever have with the TaylorMade or Titleist. So uh, I prefer that, even though I don't necessarily love the sound of it. Um, and then I play uh, Cleveland wedges. Um, they're kind of custom for, for me. Um, and then I play ping irons. Um, so kind of a little bit of everything, never been a guy that's just says, Hey, I'm going to play all Titleist or all tailor made. If, if it works for me, I'll, I'll play it. I mean, I, I put a USF head cover on it anyway, so you wouldn't even notice. Good question. The sound of it's what's important to me. Anytime I hit something, like I said, obviously not very good, but I like it to sound good whenever I hit it. So that's important for yeah. me. 
I mean, I know there's a long time ago, I mean, when I was in high school, you know, the Nike drivers were pretty big just because, you know, Tiger played Nike and everybody wanted to have, you know, the, the sumo or the Sasquatch driver and, and all that. But, you know, the sound, I mean, I was big on the sound for a while until I found this driver and didn't love the sound. But, you know, I started hitting it straighter and, you know, with technology and the way it's going, you know, as long as you can hit it, if you can put up with the sound a little bit on some of them, um, you'll be able to get by for sure. So uh, speaking of Nike and Tiger, uh, there's no way he was actually using Nike clubs, right? Um, the irons, I don't know about. I mean, I do think at one time he was probably playing Nike wedges um, just because, you know, you, you can see him on TV. But it's, it's just like, you know, tennis guys, you know, they, mm-hmm. they have the frames painted and, you know, they're probably playing a Wilson racket, but it's probably painted, you know, Babolat or head or whoever um golf I, I think it's a little harder to get away with some of that stuff in golf just because it's you know it's not just a paint job you know it's a I mean maybe it's a Nike stamp or or whatever but I I, I don't know I mean there's a lot of a lot of hype to finding Nike blades on uh, that's kind of my backup sets my old Nike blades and yeah. I obviously got them for for kind of one reason I loved them and um obviously Tiger played them at one point oh, so man. that was back when I was really idolizing him though well, one question kind of turned into five, but we don't care about that. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on, Coach. Yeah, thanks, Josh and Kyler. Appreciate you guys having me, for sure. Appreciate it, Coach. Have a good day. Yeah. You guys, too. Ooh, that was a really fun interview, Josh, with uh, Coach Stevens. Hopefully, we can get down to Florida pretty soon once this, once all this is over and hop on the links oh i'm definitely looking forward to it i'm ready to to get out on a course again man i'm ready for it uh so josh let's get into our totem pole today's totem pole is going to be what ifs um what sports what ifs so if you're new to us today totem pole is kind of our version of list radio so you hear all the radio shows they all have their own version of how they rank things um this is ours so we rank it top three bottom two so today's uh, totem pole is sports what ifs. Josh, do you want to start or do you want me to? Uh, I'll let you start at the bottom. All right, so the bottom of the totem pole. So this is um, the bottom of our totem pole, kind of based on our opinion, I guess. Um, not, really, not really based on fact or anything. But the bottom of my totem pole, just because it's my least favorite um, what if, and this is because it, it hurts me uh, still to this day, what if the Thunder don't trade James Harden? Well, how many championships would the Thunder have? I mean, you got to say at least three, right? Because KD has – he would have had three if he wouldn't have gotten injured. Yeah, I think – I mean, I would say at least two, but three is definitely a, uh, definitely a number. So we would have won in 14, 16, and probably – I mean, that 13 Spurs team was great but we would have won in 12. I'd say three's a lock. Yeah, I mean, it definitely could have been three because that would have changed everything. Everything. The whole NBA is completely different. Man. Oh, hindsight is twenty twenty. That Oh, that hurt me to the core, to my core. Hurt me to my yep. core. That's why it's on the bottom of my totem pole so we can talk about it. Get it out of the way. Move forward to the rest of the totem pool. 
So hindsight is twenty twenty on that deal, like I said, and there was if man, if they would have just been able to wait one more year. They didn't have to trade him. That they literally could have waited one more year. And they literally chose, do we want Serge Ibaka or James Harden? And they chose Ibaka. And literally, again, they signed it a year early. Didn't have to. Just one year. Oh, all right. We got to move on to something else before I start crying. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. So the bottom of my totem pole uh, is what if LeBron had gone to college? Mm-hmm. And the reason it's at the bottom of my totem pole is because I think it would have made his legacy worse. I disagree. I think that uh, there's a lot of things that he's been able to accomplish as like the youngest player to do this, the youngest player to do this, youngest player to reach 5,000, 8,000, 10,000 assists, most points scored and certain playoff things. So, I mean, he has a lot of accolades that are like career long and he does have an advantage because he was, came in as a star on an NBA level on an NBA team at such a young age. So the argument for his legacy to be better uh, comes if he go, if he goes into college, wins the '04 national championship, gets drafted in '04 to a team that's not as bad as Cleveland um, historically, um, managerially, owner-wise, everything like that. He's just in a better situation overall. Um, like if he would have went to the Pistons, who had the number two pick. Um, I guess it was number three, whatever they had, and got Darko. Um, if they would have won the Pistons, how many, how many championships does LeBron have if he gets drafted by the Pistons in 04? A lot more than three. Yeah, I mean, you would hope so, but, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. The one thing that it would have been able to give him if he went to a different team than Cleveland, um, but then you start to think if he's coming out of that draft as a – if he just won a national championship, do you not think he'd still be the number one – pick oh he'd for sure be the number one pick I just think somebody else besides Cleveland would have it oh because it's a year later so a different Mm -hmm. team would have had the first pick I see what you're saying yeah I mean it it, or maybe not because maybe they would have drafted Darko and they would have had the number one pick again (laughs) which is definitely plausible so in my opinion I I don't I think it I think it hurts his legacy from how we know LeBron as far as his accolades that's why it's at the bottom yeah, so uh, moving on to the next bottom of my totem pole, uh, next to last. Uh, this one, just because um, it has to do with cheating, and, you know, that's never something us on the Birch Rubble Pod, uh, we, we ever endorse or anything like that. What if Lance Armstrong never gets caught? And we can throw any name in there. What if Barry Bonds never, get, never, never gets caught? What if, you know, Mark McGuire never gets caught? I think any of them, if they never get caught, do this for the entirety of their career, are the greatest American athlete of all time. There's so many players. Uh, A-Rod ended up late in his career uh, coming out. I mean, so many great stories lost to the fact that they were using PEDs. So what if Barry Bonds doesn't ever get caught and he ends up with 1,500 career home runs, just doubles Babe Ruth? If he never gets caught, he would have – had a wonderful chance to go down as the best baseball player to ever play. I think he would have got close to a thousand home runs. Absolutely. That's, that's insane. That is, that is a crazy one. Um, so my next one, uh, and it's just because it kind of going with the theme of what's happening. It's another basketball. Uh, what if MJ hadn't retired the first time? 
Yeah. Uh, this is a very popular one. You know what would have happened. It's at the bottom of mind because I think that him stepping away actually helped him uh, regain his composure, regain thoughts, uh, gave his body a little bit of a rest from the all the minutes he was playing in the NBA. So I think that the this time away from basketball did him some good. And I think that's what eventually helped him to go on that second three-peat. Yeah, you'll definitely see in this next episode of The Last Dance, he needed that uh... – that you know one and a half two year break basically um you know all the media scrutiny and all the pressure from winning three championships in a row um you know finally arriving i should say at winning three championships in a row after a long you know strenuous playoff run throughout all of the 80s and the early 90s see a great call there Uh, you know if he doesn't retire uh, you know i think in the bigger what if there is you know what if jordan uh you know i don't want to take this away if you have it on your uh totem pole but uh, what if Jordan doesn't return to basketball? You know, what if he stays in baseball and stays determined? What if the lockout uh, ends? You know, what if he becomes one of the greatest of all, of all time in baseball? So I actually heard a really good uh, take on this today. Uh, I say really good just because I thought it was uh, interesting. It came from a former uh, MLB player uh, from the sports animal, um, Jim Traber. So he said today, and Barry Tramwell actually asked him the question, from the Oklahoman, what, so what are the chances of, a, of an older player in the minor leagues batting a 220 with three home runs? What are the chances that they make it to the MLB? Jim Traber said? said that people rag on him to this day because he hit a 225 in the majors. Mm-hmm. He's, he bat a 360 in double-A. A 360 led the league in all career in all batting stats. Bat a 360 in the minors. Well, I mean, well, he, go ahead. He also played his entire career to make it to the minors at that point, where Jordan had been playing basketball for 30 years. Exactly. So his take is this is an older guy that basically took a spot from someone else who'd been working their life to get to this just yeah. because it was a marketing ploy for the Sox and the owner owned the Bulls and the White Sox. This is off the market. I say say that, uh, you know, this is a guy that, this is a 30-year-old guy who hasn't been playing baseball who took a a guy's spot who had been working for it forever because he was just as good as him. Like, I understand, you know, this guy might have been batting a little bit higher, but then at that point, if you're just batting minuscule points better than Michael Jordan, Who's, who are you going to give the spot to? So the, so the overall point of the take was the chance of someone with Jordan stats playing in the minors at the age that he was in 2020 would have gotten released at the end of the season. Um, so I think the argument is Tim Tebow. We're, we're, we're watching Tim Tebow do it. Tim Tebow is batting 230 in the minors. Yeah. And he hits a home run every, every two or three months. I mean, we're kind of watching it in real time. We're just not really paying attention to it. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right on track with that. So top of the totem pole, Josh. All right, how are we doing it? Go ahead. Feeling okay. generous. You're feeling generous today. Okay. So I'm actually uh, going to get a little, a little deep with this one. What if there were, what if there were no color barriers in sports? Wow. How much would everything have been changed? You would have been exposed to so many more athletes to play in the game. Jackie Robinson wouldn't have been a 
uh, you know, a pioneer for the league, um, everything would be different. Jake yeah, Robinson would have been just another young player with, with an aspiration to make it big in the majors. Yeah. I mean, wow. I think the NBA is completely different because the entire sixties um, was dominated by players like Wilt Chamberlain and um, Krim Jabbar and um, Julius Irving. I mean, yeah, the, it's completely different because I mean, the integration starts probably in the forties. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, that's a that's a crazy that's a crazy that's a, that's one of the what ifs that I kind of avoided just because um, a concise what if question is so hard to come up with. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just what if there was never that sports beer to begin with? How many more athletes? How many better athletes would have been able to join yeah. the league and play at a high level from early on? Yeah, how I mean, early would have it, how early would that have changed uh you know civil rights how early would it there are so many things that you know obviously professional athletes have a different kind of platform look at michael jordan look at lebron look at steph all these players serena williams all these players have such a high platform because of where they play i think it would also change the way we view uh sports like the nba and the players back in the 60s and earlier than that because we kind of say, you know, they're, you know, we're talking about Wilt. You know, we're, we always say, you know, he was playing against five, five dentists and, you know, uh, five, seven plumbers. You know, he wasn't playing against anybody. You know, so that would have definitely been different. All right. So uh, that's a great one. I definitely agree. That's a crazy what if. Um, so top of my totem pole. What if the tuck rule was called the – was called the – um, other way so actually Josh it was the wrong call this um, it should have been called a fumble and rolled the Raiders ball and that's my and that's a fact uh, and I'm a I'm a Tom Brady fan uh, the tuck rule was a rule it was going to be implemented um, in the offseason but it wasn't a rule yet um, and they honestly they implemented in the moment just because it was I think it was in their subconscious and they just made the wrong call but if that goes the other way, um, Josh, that's in the, the divisional round. Like the Patriots don't even make it to the conference championship game. And they, de they don't, obviously don't win their first Super Bowl. And that changes the Raiders' history as, a, as an organization. Yeah. Everything yeah, about the Raiders would be different. Win, baby, win. That is a, that's a really good one. Wow, that would have changed a lot of things. Because, I mean, because the, the, the Patriots, of course, they won two out of the three in uh, 02, 03, 04. So, if they don't win that first one, who says they win that second one? The, the Patriots dynasty might not be what it is. Tom Brady might not start that next year. Wow. All right, Josh, what do you got next? So, second on my list, I actually, uh, this is one of my favorites. It was almost my top. What if C-Web doesn't call mm. the timeout? This is my favorite 30 for 30. Oh, it's so song. good. It's so good. If he doesn't, Man, that time, they win the game. Yeah, obviously they win the game. He wins the national championship. And C-Web has never won anything in his life. And, I mean, that's part of the reason he was out of the league. I mean, he had a great career, but he could never stay on a winning team just because he's not a winner. Um, and maybe if he wins that first game back in college, maybe he gets that stigma out of his mind, off his back. Maybe he becomes – because, I mean, he had the talent to become one of the greatest power forwards of all time. 
Because when we saw, if you saw glimpses of him play, if you saw, go watch old videos. Josh, he had all the talent of a Barkley. Uh, it's just he he couldn't win. Absolutely, and with that one game, it could have changed everything about his career. He would have stepped. He would have gotten that out of his head. He would have become. He would have stepped into his own and could have been a very clutch player in the NBA if that one thing hadn't happened to him. Oh yeah, I think all those players' careers are different. Yeah, that's a great one. All right, all right what so do you got next? Second up, um, this one's a little a little more sad. Uh, Lynn Bias. So this is also a great thirty for thirty on ESPN. If you haven't seen it. Um, he was the second overall pick in the 1986 draft. Scott was incredible. I mean, the senior year at Maryland, he averaged 24 and seven. Uh, nobody did that in college, especially back then. Nobody does it now. Um, Obi Toppin just did it, and he's, he's going to go, you know, he's a forward, and he's going to go number two, number three in the draft. This guy he died tragically of a cardi- cardiac arrest um, after a cocaine overdose. Um, obviously, back in the 80s, you know, things were a lot different. A lot of misinformation, a lot of non-information. So him going straight to the Celtics two years after Jordan was drafted, it would have been wonderful to see this guy alongside McHale, alongside Bird, alongside the Admiral. It would have been great to see them um, really close out the 80s and challenge the Jordan Bulls and the Pistons late, late into the 80s. And this guy would have been great just as long, if not greater than Jordan. It is really sad we didn't get to see him lace up some shoes and step on the court at the high level. It's just one of those really sad stories that we'll never get the chance to see. And that is a, uh, you know, it's really tough when something like this happens. Moving on, Josh, what do you got last? All right. So my last one, I had, I had a, a tough time with this. I had a, I'll have a honorable mention afterward, um, mm-hmm. but I think I'm going to have to go with what if what if Bo Jackson's hip holds up? Oh, took mine. Oh, it's such a good one. That that is the question to be answered. How good could he have been? Man, because he was at his best. So let's just say, what if Bo Jackson were completely healthy? You know, what if he never sustained an injury ever? Because he was untackleable, um, especially in, in Tecmo Bowl. Uh, and the MLB, he was even better. He made an all-star team and batted over 300 that season. So, if he, man, if he was just able to stay healthy, Bo Jackson would – he would have dominated both sports. Yeah, there's a video game where you can't even touch Bo Jackson. If you play it's the, it's the old school football game, you can't even touch Bo Jackson. He can run all over the field around yeah. everyone. And we talk yeah. about a, a, a professional athlete switching sports and going to the MLB. Bo Jackson did it better than anyone else. Yeah, he, he pioneered it. I mean, he, I mean he, made it, he made it available for other guys to say, hey, I'm going to be like Bo. I'm going to do what he did. And, I mean, you see Kyler, I mean, Kyler Murray just did it. I mean, who do you think he looked up to growing up? What a transcendent talent took away by injury. Oh. Oh. All right, last one, what you got? All right, rounding out my totem pole. Um, so this is going to feature just draft moments. What if draft moments? Portland, Portland, Portland. The Trailblazers never learn. Sam Bowie over Michael Jordan. Greg Oden over Kevin Durant. Two centers that riddled by injury out of the league in a few years. Instead, they could have had 
two of the greatest talents the NBA has ever seen. Josh, the Portland Trailblazers, they could have been the greatest NBA franchise, the greatest sports franchise ever. So who takes the blame? I mean, you got to uh, – it's got to be the owner, right? Or the GM. Yep. I mean, Jerry would never let that happen. <laughs> Jerry knows. And that shows how important that, you know, the scouting and how important these things are uh, in the draft, no matter where you're at, what year it is. You see it in the NFL all the time too, uh, you know, first round, first overall picks, going to the wayside. It, it would have changed a lot. Yep. Uh, I mean, we obviously see um, Patrick Mahomes, you know, he's obviously a big what if. But, you know, those two guys, uh, top of the draft, just 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 missed on. Well, yeah, I mean, and this isn't one of mine, but you could also do a what if the Bears take Patrick Mahomes or just what if the Bears don't take Mitch Trubisky? Yeah, just anything else. Oh, all right, so my, my honorable, honorable mention. Mentions. Yeah. Honorable mention. Uh, this, is, this is another sad one, uh, getting, getting kind of low here, but we'll bring it back up. Um, what if Dale Earnhardt doesn't crash? Yeah. I mean, you know, does he have more races left in him? Does he have yeah. more wins left in him? Probably so. You know, NASCAR lost a legend that day. I think it's honorable to, to bring him into this, uh, seeing as how, you know, NASCAR's coming back. Yeah, the potential moment that we're really looking forward to uh, with LeBron James and his son is possibly the, uh, you know, the possibility of seeing them in the league together one day and maybe seeing like a passing of the torch moment. And that's something that we are really robbed of uh, when that happened with Dale Earnhardt is, Really, more of those moments with his son, you know, racing, racing the sport they love together, you know. So that's that's definitely a great one. Um, definitely robbed of that. Um, an honorable honorable mention I had: What if KD doesn't get injured in this last playoff run um, against the Raptors? What I if he doesn't go down? I think it's super hard to say that the Warriors don't win that series. I think I think you would be a fool to say they don't. We saw how much of an impact he made when he was on on the court. You you would be silly to even think otherwise. So if he comes back, they win the third straight title. He wins the third straight MVP, or maybe they give it to Steph. Either way, I think he comes back. I think he was done, but we've had that conversation before. I think he was done at Golden State. I think that it was time for him to move on and build his legacy somewhere else other than Golden State. He was tired of it not being his team. He wanted to go somewhere to get out of the Splash Brothers shadow. Well, maybe. Well, we got any more injury or uh, I'm sorry, what ifs, Josh? No, uh, I, I think that that kind of rounds it out for me. Yep, I think that's about it for me too. Uh, really enjoyed it today, Josh. It was a fun interview with Coach Stevens. Uh, we had some fun headlines we talked about. Probably, this is probably my favorite totem pole yet. It was definitely one of the interesting ones. Uh, you know, it's got a little bit of everything in it, all sports, all types of stories. It's definitely a good one. So, I mean, it was a, it was a really good one, man. Uh, if you're listening, make sure you go follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Check us out on Facebook. Uh, share it. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Uh, we really appreciate y'all stopping by. Kyler, I guess we'll uh, do another one on Friday. Yep. Talk to you then, buddy. All right. See you, man.